0: john 14 john 16 romans 12 and ephesians 4 and not all of that at the same time i will remind you when we turn to that now i also have just received word uh in this little vibrating cell phone that our services starting with worship just a few moments ago are on facebook live right now uh so um Thank you for that, Brant uh, and, and Jason, or whomever is responsible for that. You might have to guide me along the way. I'm not accustomed. Uh, it'll be a new experience for me, too, especially the part about getting too loud or standing still. Uh, I, I tend to run and get loud. Amen. <laughs> but let's look at the text today as I want you to consider when he, the Spirit, is come after the spirit has come is an incredible book written back in the late 70s by dr jack taylor uh i don't know if it's still in print but i have a copy if you might be interested in that the incredible truths of life after having come alive and coming to know christ jesus and uh I just recommend it very highly, so please consider that. And this morning, we want to focus, well, action's an overview. But let's look and begin reading the text in John's Gospel, chapter 14. In verse 15, Jesus says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another comforter, helper, the words paraclete, it means alongside of. Jesus is assuring you and me, his followers in this text as well, that there is, there is a divine presence of God given to us when we come to know Christ. He says that helper will be with you until you trip on the next rock. That's not what it says. said, I'm going to put him with you forever. And when the Holy Spirit of God descended from heaven on the day of Pentecost and came to live not simply upon God's people or among them, But within them, he has been present and still present on earth in believers ever since that day. Look at verse 17. It is the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. Now, watch this. You know him. How? They didn't have a Bible. You know him. For he dwells with you and will be in you. So here is Jesus speaking prophetically with respect to the Holy Spirit. He says in essence right now I'm with you. We already know from Luke's gospel and preaching there that Jesus walked in the fullness of the Holy Spirit. That he totally depended on the Holy Spirit. We, we already know that. Now, as Jesus speaks with the approval, with the authority of God, because he is God, and because God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, as we know the Trinity, are indeed the Godhead, he says, among you, but he future will be within you. It's an incredible thing. As I call your attention to Ephesians 4, verse 30, that Paul, when writing to the Ephesians, the believers there, he said, Don't you grieve the Holy Spirit, by whom you are sealed until the day of your redemption. That's final redemption. Jesus is simply saying, Well, he's simply saying a whole lot of things right here. Number one, God is coming. Within you, God the Holy Spirit. Paul refers to him in Colossians as Christ in you, the hope of glory. Uh, More and more references that accentuate and bring out one prophetic, one excuse me, one powerful truth, and that is simply this: that when we speak of the Holy Spirit, we're not talking about something or some it. We had this discussion (coughs) years ago. We were here. We had a visitor here. I remember it very plainly. We said right over there. The man made the statement in the meeting. It doesn't matter to me whether the Holy Spirit is a he or an it. It does matter. It matters every bit. He is God eternal. And Jesus said, look, I'm going to the Father He's coming to you. Now, he's going to start, and we'll go over this again in just a moment, when he convicts you of sin. He's going to start when he regenerates you, born of the Spirit, not of the flesh, not of the will of man, but born of God. The conversation with Nicodemus, you must be born again. And there you have it, and there you know that much already. But what do we learn from that? That that Holy Spirit being a he has personality. And if you tell somebody you're a believer, listen to me what you're saying. Give me your eyes, guys. You are saying, according to Scripture, that me, I, who was dead in sin, have been made alive by the Spirit of God. You are saying that Christ lives within me. He's not just a subject to be discussed. He's somebody to be dealt with and someone to deal with you. You, You're you're saying, I am sealed until the day of redemption by that spirit. You're saying, I am certain, I am secure, I am safe. The Old Testament prophets said it. Gospel songs have said it. I am sheltered. In the arms of God. And I think of the promise of God of how He will be looking. A little speck in it, when that lump of clay that God showed Jeremiah had a little speck in it. It said the clay was marred. The potter never threw the clay away, he just removed the speck. And the text is careful to say he took it again, the same lump, and went back to work and molded a vessel unto his own honor God is at work within you only because first he lives within you and that is the testimony of every believer so that's what makes sin all the more serious that we would dare profess Christ in us and demonstrate a totally opposite of our own confession but Look, Jesus is specific. He's going to guide you into all truth. Just move right on over, if you would, please, to verse 25 of the same chapter in John 16. These things have I spoken to you while I'm still with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things. Now, this is specifically uh, important to me And I think more uh, scripturally and within his context, uh, worthy of bringing out. He, He says that he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance. Now, what are those next few words? All that I have said unto you. So the first question is to whom is Jesus speaking? These disciples. Now, Jesus assures them at that point, guys. Listen to me, you that face the scoffers with respect to the authority of Holy Scripture. Jesus said he will guide you in all things and he will bring to remembrance all things that I've said to you. And so it was after the ascension that these same people began to write what we've come to know as Holy Scripture as the New Testament. Because they looked at Jesus, John said. Because they handled Jesus, John said. Because they heard what Jesus, John said. Because as Peter wrote, we were with him in the holy mount. We saw him transfigured. And we have for you now an even more sure word of prophecy than that. How many of you believe that Christ cannot lie and did not lie? His assurance to these guys you will remember what I've told you. And so we see how Luke wrote it down. As a physician, he was also a historian. He wrote it down as historians do. He authored the book of Acts. And then there is John, and there's Matthew, and there's Mark. There's You know the rest. You know the rest. So we have, by the entire promise of God, the complete promise, and by the Permission of God, and as a matter of fact, just simply by God's sovereign choice, we have within us God, the Holy Spirit, to guide us into all truths. Now, there's a lot to say about that, but he got more specific, and I want to turn your attention to John's Gospel, chapter 16, speaking of the same subject. I'm going to, just for context's sake, begin with verse 1, John 16, verse 1. I've said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think that he's offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. But now I'm going to him who sent me. And none of you ask, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrows filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is, watch this please. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Holy Spirit, the helper, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Now, what are the effects? What? The Holy Spirit's coming. When? After Jesus ascends back to heaven. What do we see as the result of that? When he comes, three specifics. He, the Spirit, will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment uh, uh, <clears throat> and judgment concerning sin because they do not believe in me concerning right. I didn't read that right. Excuse me. Let, let's do verse 8 again. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment to come. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. Just think with me just a minute. The Holy Spirit will come. Because you do not believe that the Holy Spirit will come because of sin? Listen, stop just a moment. And don't you dare accuse me or anybody else accuse me of downplaying the authority of Holy Scripture. But Abraham didn't have a Bible. Noah didn't have a Bible. Moses didn't have one, though he wrote five books. Amanda's already spoken to some of them this morning. What are you saying, Jim? Paul didn't have a New Testament until he wrote it, half of it. What are you saying? This is easy. This is easy. God has always used his spirit to convict men of sin, always. He teaches us in the Holy Scripture that he places his spirit among people. In Romans 1, he even says, to the extent, so that no one is without excuse. The Scripture says that all have sinned. I have, you have. Our story, as I've said a zillion times, written on the same page of holy scripture why is it that sin will bother some and not bother others it is because of the truth that it is not just a spoken word it's god's eternal word empowered by god's eternal spirit and when god's spirit convicts you of sin friend it's time to repent it's time to repent so he says the first assignment will be to convict men of the truth. They have indeed sinned. Second thing, he says, of righteousness. Well now, what what does all that mean? Well, let's just look for just a minute. You have to remember, there's just something in us that at times makes us think, well, if I do this and I'll do that and i do this, surely I've earned my place in heaven. I heard one of the political um, can, uh, candidates make the statement recently that he had certainly earned his way into heaven for how he had helped in particular areas. Please, if I never get to preach again, If I die and you have to come stare at my dead cold body Tuesday afternoon at the funeral, listen to me. You do not have righteousness that will save you and take away your sin. You have no way of achieving, if we can use that word and that's careful, you have no way, excuse me, of receiving salvation except by God's own precious Love that is unconditional and as God's free gift of grace to you. You cannot achieve righteousness. It's not in you. It's just not there. What does Jesus say would convince you of that? The Holy Spirit of God. Holy as opposed to your unholiness and mine. Holiness. So here we have the three Three, three particular areas of ministry. He convicts us of sin because we don't think we have any. He convicts us of righteousness because we think we got it made. Then he convicts us of judgment to come. What's that all about? It's about the simple principle, beloved, that because of God's holiness, sin must be judged and payment must be made. To satisfy the demands of a righteous God. Remember, you don't have enough to make that payment. Remember, only He does. Remember this more than anything. We try to teach it to kids, we try to teach it to adults. Because sin must be judged, you will pay for it in eternity. In hell, without God, if you reject the one who's already paid for every bit of your sin. You see, the day Christ died, it wasn't just the world turned dark. It wasn't just that he yielded up his spirit. It wasn't just the seven last sayings. What happened on that cross the day Christ died is that Christ absorbed the judgment for all of your sin all of your unrighteousness. And and you have to understand, you can be baptized till every frog in the pond knows you on a first-name basis. You can go through every catechism. You can know every creed. You can memorize church history if you can read some of the stuff. You can be as pure on the outside as is humanly possible. You can drink communion out of a bottle with a loaf of bread every Sunday. But there's no salvation in asceticism in mysticism, and in legalism. There's only salvation when the sin that eats you away has been paid for, and the only payment for that penalty is Christ himself. That's it. So, here's the conclusion. You can come to Christ now in repentance of sin and in faith and receive the free gift with all your sin atoned for, And meet him as loving Lord and Savior. Or you can die in your sin and meet him as judge. Those are the options. There are no intermediaries. There's no halfway point in that at all. Here's the scripture text that the same writer wrote in his first epistle. When he says, if we do sin, in chapter 2, verse 1 of 1 John, we have an advocate with the Father jesus christ the righteous and he he not anybody else no priest no preacher no rabbi no monk no cardinal no nothing no deacon no elder nothing he he is the perpetuation for our sin our sin just him and not ours only but the sin of the world so let's define perpetuation In its context, it means more than just sacrifice. It means acceptable offering. Go all the way back, even what Amanda mentioned in Leviticus this morning. Those offerings that God required were all pointing to the one offering that would take away our sin. That's That's why we read the book of Leviticus, to see what God was saying from eternity past to eternity future catch this people only one sacrifice for sin that will meet the demands of god and get this he paid it he paid it he he say it with me he paid the price he bore the judgment we sit around here we ought not to even discuss Who's spiritual among you? Or who's the most righteous among us? Or who's who in the kingdom? And who's who in the church? We've all sinned. We're all unrighteous. There's none that doeth good. We're like sheep. We've all gone our own way. But thank God there is a Savior who dwells among men. Listen to me, Amanda, with what you spoke of with respect to sinners. How many of you have come to understand that that's the only thing God's got to work with? That's it. Oh, Amanda sings at church in front of God and everybody. And I heard her say, "Darn, you don't want to hang around my house. Uh, 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 Travis. Travis went to Florida on Sunday. We got to call Travis for repentance. What's wrong with us? What is wrong with us that we think believers don't, have an opportunity to sin it seems like that's all you got once you come to Christ you are aware of sin's presence you are aware of sin's power and all hell knows that if you're going to walk in victory you're going to be the one who's singing tis so sweet to trust in Jesus Satan pull out your best bullet from your best gun fire your best shot you cannot penetrate the forgiving redeeming blood of Jesus Christ. That has satisfied the righteous demands of the holy God. He is Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. He's not. And you got to get that. You, you got, I, I deal with people every day. It seems. And I have this week for sure. They don't know if they're saved or not. And the first question is who are you trusting for your salvation? Well, I go to church. Well, you trusting yourself. I can move on because y'all understand that by now. Y'all know this, but, but that is somewhat in of what Jesus is addressing when he tells his followers, first of all, the Holy Spirit's coming to guide you. First, put down number one. I've tried to show you. He's going to guide you from sin unto salvation. All the way to the day of redemption, Romans 8 calls it glorification. He's going to guide you in all truth. He'll tell you nothing that contradicts scripture. He'll lead you nowhere that contradicts holy scripture. He'll do nothing to violate his own holiness. He'll do nothing to violate his own love, his own mercy, his own grace. I'm trying to tell you that the Holy Spirit came from God as whom He is, as who he is. God, the Holy Spirit, to guide you in all truth. To guide you in righteousness, to guide you in life, to guide you in death, to guide you in judgment for he was judged for you, and to guide you all the way through eternity. That's just part of the ministry of God, the Holy Spirit. So, let's look at what else he came to do. And this is the part where I go flat. Because I don't know how to convey it. I know how to. So, what I'm going to do, I'm going to trust the Holy Spirit that wrote it. And I'm going to read it to you. So, when you leave, you won't have to tell anybody what the preacher said, but you can tell everybody what the scripture said. Okay? Let's look at it, please. Let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. First observation of how God has sent the Holy Spirit to guide you to walk along beside you and to guide you in truth. We've already gone over that. The second thing is how God sent the Holy Spirit. Now, I really need you right here on this observation, how he sent the Holy Spirit to gift you. Let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12 first, and then we'll go elsewhere. Paul says, concerning spiritual gifts, I do not want you to be uninformed. King James text, now concerning spiritual guilt, I would not have you to be ignorant. So catch this. He don't want you alienated from this truth and this subject. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the spirit of God ever says, Jesus is accursed. And, and there's a deep theological truth in this next one, too. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Spirit. Now, that last statement, and I'll say this and move on, is just an incredible validation of the biblical truth of God's sovereignty in our salvation. You can say Jesus is Lord today only because of the grace of God that has loved you And loved you unconditionally. That's his gift. So we'll move to verse 4. Now there are varieties of gifts but the same spirit. Hmm. You mean we all don't have to do the same thing. Wow. And there are varieties of service but the same Lord. There are varieties of activities. But it is the same God who empowers them all in every one. To each is given the manifestation of the spirit of the common good. Sometimes I wish somebody else just take over, you know, just this time so I could be blessed and listen. Did you see the very motive for the giving of the gifts of the Holy Spirit? Whatever God has gifted you with or whatever service he's gifted you to do, he's done it not for you, but for the rest of us. For each is given the manifestation. What's that? That's apocalypsis. A revealing, an unveiling, a visible way to see that God is work in the believer, is at work in a believer, is that God, the Holy Spirit, manifest, makes it known. And that gift that is known and recognized is received, not for your glory, but for everybody else's good. So having Stopped on that one. Let's try again in verse 8. To one is given the spirit of the spirit, excuse me, to one is given through the spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same spirit. To another, faith by the same spirit. To another, gifts of healing by one spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, the ability to distinguish between spirits or the gift of discernment. To another, various kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. Folks, let me, let me, come here guys, give me a face. Think just a minute. Gifts of the Spirit. Where are all our English teachers? I know there's just some teachers in here. Right? That d- didn't you with prepositions find yourself at sometimes telling people that the word of and from are often interchangeable? Now, now say that with me. Gifts of the Holy Spirit. These are gifts from the Holy Spirit. People stop. Listen. Listen. It's not modified behavioral patterns, okay? It's not unlearned behavior that you have to be taught and have to practice. It's the supernatural ability that you receive when the Holy Spirit gives you to perform that particular service or that particular gift that you in no way could have performed before God freely extended it to you. It's a gift of the Holy Spirit. That, that rules out natural ability. It does. It rules out learned behavior. It's a supernatural gift. Now, there's nine right there that the text teaches have visible impact. They're manifest. They're made known. Not only are they made known, why are they made known? For everybody's good. For everybody's benefit. Who has... What? What? Does everybody have the same Nope. Nope. But he says to each is given these gifts by the Holy Spirit as he wills. Have, have you come to a place right now that you are willing? And this is a careful question. You better give a careful answer. Are you willing to participate in and exercise the gift that God sovereignly wills to you? i'm convinced if we were totally dependent on the holy spirit to build a church it would be completely full and i say that to my own shame i'm convinced that most of christianity don't even know that verses in the bible at least by behavior they don't christianity has become just one more program for one more month what can we do next week to plug people in i tell you what you can do in short and y'all agree with me we can subject them to the sovereignty of the holy spirit of god and pray that God fills them with the Spirit, and they learn how to walk in the Spirit and live in the Spirit and manifest the gifts of the Spirit. But these are not all. These are nine. Let's go, please, together to Romans chapter 12. Beginning with verse 4. I see I'm going to have to cut this one short here in just a moment. We'll finish this whenever the Lord... Leads. Verse 4 first, uh, I'm sorry Romans 12 For as in one body we have many members and the members do not all have the same function so we though many are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. Catch this please. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us lest us use uh, let us use them if prophecy in proportion to our faith. You got this? Many members, one body, different gifts used appropriately, used appropriately uh, and, in, and, and individually. He says, though they differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith. If service in our serving. Now, you didn't see these two gifts in 1 in, in, in Corinthians. Uh, You did. You did see the one of prophecy, but now he's talking about service in our serving. The one who teaches on his teaching. The one who exhorts, and that word simply means encourage. In his exhortation, the one who gives contributes in his generosity. King James text says, "You have the gift of giving, then give liberally." The one who leads with zeal. The one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Let's stop just a minute and pause our hearts. Th- these are so simple. Th- this is such. This is just simply a demonstration of Christ in you. I come to lead you. I want to do it with zeal. I come to show you mercy. I want to do it with joy. Tearfulness, not oh, I'm here to show you mercy. I hate. I had to come. Uh, or nothing like that. The one who exhorts, encourages. I mean, if you can think of somebody, you'd just rather not be around tomorrow because you know they're always there. Don't raise your hand and testify. Nobody wants that. Here, here, Here is something that is so incredibly important. There are more gifts waiting to be distributed. Who wants them? Talk to me. It is your assignment. It is your blessing. It is the will of God. And then I want to read to you from Holy Scripture not only what these gifts are, but if you'll focus for just another couple of minutes, I want you to see the effects of these gifts according to the Holy Spirit himself who authored this. Here are these gifts that we've read. What are their effects? Let love be genuine. Abhor that which is evil. Hold fast to that what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another and show an honor. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those that persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Be not haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. There is room for everybody right there. So while you're talking about the gifts of the Spirit, you have those nine there and you have several right here. Please be sure you read the the purpose, the effect of those gifts, their accomplishments. Before you draw any conclusions, be sure. That you are the object of God's love and the one he has chosen to gift. Well, how are you sure of that? Well, he just said so. He just said so. So now we've got what? The Holy Spirit to guide us. The Holy Spirit to gift us. One more verse. Ephesians chapter 4. Verse 9, it'll be four or five verses. He says, in saying that he ascended, Christ ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions of the earth? He who descended, Now, now mark this down, just for future. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. This is just a simple question. The same one that descended from heaven to earth is the same Christ that ascended, ascended from earth back to heaven. That's what the verse means. Okay, so keeping that in perspective, he says, and doing so, he gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry or building up the body of Christ. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. The assignment of your elders. And pray for them. They're not masters, they're servants. All of us. But our, our primary assignment is to build you up. That, that is a spiritual gift and a spiritual office. Please look at these things. You go and you add up the gifts of Ephesians four, Romans twelve, and 1 Corinthians twelve, and you come with nineteen. What's my conclusion this morning? That the Holy Spirit, who brought you to Christ and was your guide to your salvation, is the same Holy Spirit who chooses and sovereignly wills not only the God but the gift that what we do here thirdly brings glory to the father through the son jesus said when he's come he will glorify me so i ask all these young people who've been saved the last couple of years and i ask all you've been saved forever how long are you certain of the spirit's guidance to your salvation you can be are you certain are you certain Are you discovering, looking, interested in what God has to gift you with? And thirdly, does your life glorify Jesus Christ? Paul's words were we're changed into his image, like looking in a mirror from glory to glory. God's eternal purpose is for the Holy Spirit within us not only gift us, but enable us to glorify God. Men, women, young people, dads, husbands, mamas. Please focus on that this morning. God has made a way by the Spirit to gift so that we'll have a way to glorify. now, Father.